for the touch of your lips, dear, but much more for the touch of your whips, dear. You can raise welts like nobody else as we dance to the masochism tango. Tonight on the show, we're chain smoking and celebrating that it's anything can happen day. I am super excited to share this episode with one of my favorite podcasters. This guy has, I swear to God, the sexiest voice of podcasting I have ever heard. And I'm just going to get it out there. I don't listen to a lot of podcasts because I'm a podcaster. We just don't have a lot of time. And of the podcasts that I do listen to regularly, Horror Weekly is one of those podcasts. So please welcome George from Horror Weekly. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I love your show. I can't believe I found a podcast that can talk well about Don't Look Now One Week and House the Second Story. We're like, we're like girls from Reform School Girls to Angel Heart. This is like blowing my mind. So thank you so much. I'm excited to be with you. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. So I have a question for you. First of all, I had no idea that you did uh, that you did marketing for Fangoria because Fangoria would be the very first place I ever saw any mention of Angel Heart. And I was probably, oh God, if we're going to date ourselves, I was probably eight when I picked up that copy. And I remember looking at all of the pictures of special effects that have since been actually cut out of this wonderful horror film and being like, wow, this is dark stuff, yes. right? <laughs> Yes. So, no kidding. Thank you where you first saw it. Yes, absolutely. I, in fact, I probably still have that that issue uh, because it has that cover where um, the first uh, the first doctor, yeah, Doctor Fowler, yeah, Doctor Doctor Fowler, right? So, what is your background with this, George? So, I um, saw this probably when I was like fourteen or fifteen. I, I it's vague, right? And I fell in love with it immediately, but mm. I, I fell in love with it like two times over, right? Because one, I just loved it as a movie, but two, it struck me as a very, there's like a very like cherished category of movies to me, which I thought of as like movies with bad intent, right? Mm. So it's like, David Lynch's Twin Peaks Firewalk with me is a really good, like horror adjacent example of a movie with bad intent. Right. Yes. Like, he was super pissed off at what happened to Twin Peaks TV show. He was pissed off at the powers that be. He was also angry at his own audience a little bit because their desire for closure and the end of the mystery kind of led the, to the collapse of the show. Right. So yes. he made a really angry movie with Firewalk. And, and it's a movie that kind of like targets things that a viewer would cherish, right? Like <laughs> idea of community or like I know good from bad or popularity. You kind of leave that movie with less than you came in with. And mm -hmm. I love when a movie is at least as much about its own agenda as it is about entertaining you or making money, right? Yes. And those movies are actually a little more rare than you would think. Like I'm sure like a lot of people who are horror fans are, are thinking all horror movies have bad intent. But like, to me, that's not the case, right? Like, if a movie's trying to, if a horror movie's trying to scare you, that's what a horror movie has you want. That's the entertainment. Like, that's the holy grail to a horror. That's, mm -hmm. Your number one complaint is nothing is scary. Right. right. Like, 
As a matter of fact, if you made a horror movie and purposely had nothing scary in it, it would be that would be bad incentives, right? It would be like building a really cool roller coaster that went up a mile in the sky, and then when you get on it, the car would drop to the ground and run flat for half an hour and let you out, right? Like yep. that could bad incentives, right? So Angel Heart to me has bad intentions on a couple different tracks, right? Ooh. So like track number one is um, audiences identify with characters they like. Mm -hmm. So um, if you're watching Tucker and Dale versus Evil, you're identifying with it or Allison. Mm -hmm. You're not identifying with Chad. <laughs> <laughs> so in Angel Heart, there are exactly three likable characters, right? So one of them is the devil. Mm-hmm. One of them is the high priestess of an evil cult. Mm -hmm. And one of them is going to turn out to be one of the most ruthless villains in horror history. So like as the audience, you're compromised immediately going into the movie. You have nowhere to go. You have nowhere to hide. Right. You're identifying with the worst things, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is like a really bad intention for a movie. Right. Yeah. Um, and the, the other track, like we can get to where you want to talk about the first track, whatever you want. Like it's the other track is the deal with the devil part. Right. Which mm -hmm. is. Like most movies that sh do the deal with the devil, like, Angel Heart is going to show you how bad a deal with the devil actually is going to go. Right. And most devil movies, when you think about it, don't. Like my favorite example of this is Devil's Advocate, right? Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I, I love Devil's I Advocate. Yeah. I love Devil's Advocate too. And I love the book, but like Devil's Advocate, like Keanu Reeves punishment for not going through with his association with the devil would be ruling the universe side by side, surrounded by women he's attracted. And like, he doesn't want that because he's a good person, but like, that seems like not the worst incentive to like, go like, along with the deal. Now go, fuck your sister. And then a lot of other deal with the devil movies show you them on for a great ride, like Dazzle does, and then threaten you with the loss of a good time at the very end. And then they go to hell, but you don't really get to see it. Right. Angel Heart is going to show you that a deal with the devil goes bad, almost from the jump, then gets worse, then turns to torture, then you go to hell. Right? So yeah. it's rubbing your nose in it in a way that a lot of other movies don't dare to. So because it's got those tracks of bad intentions, I just love this movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly why I love it, too, is... It's one of those films that was introduced to me um, in high school, but I was taking a college screenwriting course because my voice coach at the time was a professor over at USF. And I'm this, you know, 15, like little kid, like 15 year old. And, you know, with her with her handwritten screenplays inside of her notebook, nice. right? And. He was like, why don't you come and audit my senior level screenwriting course so you can see what like what, you know, Sid Field and the books and all the stuff. Right. And I was like, OK, you know, so my little 15 year old ass uh, got driven by my mom at night to this this course. Right. That I was taking in one of the movies that was uh, assigned was Angel Heart and. My yeah. only knowledge of Angel Heart was specifically from 
you know, from Fangoria magazine. I didn't know anything about it. I knew nothing about it except that. So you went in kind of cold. Wow. No, oh, absolutely cold. And my and my my screenplay professor was like, this is an example of a fantastic screenplay. And I was like, OK, you know, so. I mean, obviously, you're taking home double indemnity and you're and you're and, and this and, sure. and uh, romancing the stone was another one. Right. So I I put it in and I'm watching this and I'm just like utterly shocked, you know, and then I pick it up again after your episode where you were talking about how uh, I think it was uh, worst horror villain of all time, I believe. And and I'm like, then they're going, shit, of course, Angel Heart. Wow, I haven't seen that in, you know, like a decade or so. I should pick that up. Like a decade or so, Aaron. Come on now. Uh, a couple. <laughs> yeah, right. Like I'm not like I'm pretending I'm not 43. Um, but <laughs> We also hadn't seen it in a non-academic setting. So right. it was time. To- I hadn't. Right. Exactly. So I, I put it in and watched it and was just like, oh, this hits so differently in your 40s. You know, like this is a right. totally different movie when you start to really factor in life decisions and how we are constantly running from ourselves and our true nature. Oh, that's and, so interesting. Yeah. And this, uh, you know, this idea of I will risk, you know, my soul. Uh, to have this little bit of fame and notoriety, right? Uh, and, right? And damn whatever else is happening and that there is true evil in the world. And, you know, all of that, it hits so different in my 40s. I'm watching this and I'm like, wow, yes, glad we're 15 years sober uh, because this is a very different <laughs> movie. Well, congratulations too. And now we, you realize that we've just set like a running... 10 to 15 year date to rewatch this and re-record episodes until it's over, right? Right. Because it's going to hit never all the way through. Uh, totally oh, sure. absolutely. Absolutely. And so my, uh, so, so my mother, uh, is one of my podcast, like, uh, movie partners, right? Well, so she'll watch the movies with me for the, for a certain, you know, there's certain ones I won't absolutely will not watch with her. Uh, of course, but I told her ahead of time. I Mom, said, "Okay, on. Right, I know, right? Like, okay, <laughs> you queue up Serbian film and don't forget the cilantro, right? But no, we. So I sat her down. I said, "Listen, I said this movie has some very intense scenes in it, and but she was very intrigued with De Niro. Like all I told her was De Niro, and she started watching it. And she's like, oh, okay, I kind of, I kind of know where we're going with this, right?'" So yeah. I was like, all right. You know, I'm just like, and as soon as the sex scene came on, I said, like, literally, as soon as Lisa Bonet is sitting in front of his hotel room, dripping wet, waiting to be let in, I looked at her and I said, if you're going to walk the dog, now is the time. <laughs> That's totally and, true. And she's like, were they going to have crazy sex? And I was like, I, I mean, kind of, yeah, but it's a lot right. more. There's just no way to describe that scene in advance. Like you indeed that, yeah, no. So we watch I go walk the dog. Right. So we watch it, and the blood starts pouring onto them. And my mom's like, "Oh, oh, they're oh, people are bleeding." Like, she, and I and the, the sounds in that scene are as bad as the visual. Oh Lord! That like I, rattling kind the of like rattling and the oh. and the consistent dripping of of yeah. what is what starts off as rain, which then turns into blood, and then it gets 
faster and faster, almost as if it's mimicking the drum beats of the ritual. You know what I'm saying? It's it's bananas, right? right? So yeah, so I I just kind of huh. and then we watched the we watched the ending, and she realized what it was, and she was just like, oh. And I said, so what did you think? You know? And she's like, yes. I loved it. She goes, it was very dark. She goes, but I really, really loved it. She goes, I, I like it because it's a fantasy, right? Like it's it's right. fantasy horror. And, right. you know, she goes, I don't like things that could, quote, actually happen. Like we're not, she's not a saw person. <laughs> you know? Totally, totally, right. The strangers isn't. Like, no, right. God, oh, fuck, dude, I'm gonna tell you right now, strangers ain't my thing either. <laughs> but, but. But in the in the like she loves don't look now she loves you know she loves session nine and she sure. and now Angel Heart was definitely a thing so it was good to watch it and well plus Angel Heart has the DNA of a lot of classical type movie yeah so you don't think too far into it you can kind of pretend you're watching Chinatown <laughs> though if you right but if you yeah you think too far into it you're like oh like that might be the worst movie I've ever seen right. <laughs> You're, it's it's kind of up to you, right? So, yes. like, if she's going the Chinatown route, she's having a great time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's basically this crime story, right? It's this man who's trying totally. to solve this mystery, and it is not until we're well into this film that we realize that the mystery he's trying to solve is him. And yes. there are so many different... um things about this film that, I mean, obviously, the symbolism is just you know, rampant. Obviously, we've got like the fans that are blowing in opposite directions and the stairs. There are so many stairs in this film. And I didn't really realize how many stairwells or stairways there were in the movie until I was watching yeah, it. Yeah, you was like, you lose like thousands of calories just watching. I know. If only <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> and um the consistent uh focus on the breathing on people's mm-hmm. breathing um specifically yeah. harry's breathing right and it reminds me of the end of halloween that way yes right where you have just that like different locations and all you hear is yep. the breathing through the mask exactly getting louder yeah. and louder but still kind of subtle yeah. yes absolutely all right so what is your experience with mickey rourke because this is an actor who really hit his stride in the 80s and then due to some very poor decision making went away for a while and then the, came back in a big way so what's yes, your 100%. yeah yeah what's your experience well with that? so I, I don't like i don't have a whole lot of connection to mickey Rourke. i gotta be honest i i loved him in sin city but it's not like i've seen a, a lot of his works it's more about i was fascinated by Alan Parker, who's the director of the movie. And yes, he did a lot of behind the scenes stuff about this. And he said a, a lot of intriguing things about the acting in it, especially between De Niro and Mickey Rourke. And mm-hmm. he said, Alan Parker said that out of, he had a long career and did a lot of amazing movies, right? And he said the electricity between De Niro and Rourke, he had never, he's never seen anything like it before or since. Mm-hmm. And I actually have a theory why, believe it or not, because mm-hmm. Mickey Rourke went away from acting because he hated acting. He's kind of a super real person, right? Yeah. He's he's against the whole Hollywood facade and the fakery and all that stuff, right? 
he's he's very down to earth in that way. And De Niro is the ultimate opposite of that. He's like the ultimate actor actor, right? So when you have the two of them on the screen, Alan Parker said it was like watching a great prize fight. Mm-hmm. They were like jabbing at each other. They were like trying different styles out. Mickey Work was gaining in confidence. De Niro was confident the whole time. Right. It was like De Niro was always really cool and calculated about it. And Work would like try crazy improvisations and do like whatever. But, you know, the, the intriguing thing was Ricky Rourke was really, like you said, kind of at the height of his first run there. And um, Adrian Lynn, the guy who directed Fatal Attraction, said that if Mickey Rourke had died right after Angel Heart came out, he would have been bigger than James. Yes. Right. He, Agreed. He was like, this is the most exciting young actor in America at the time. Oh, yeah. And so I, I, I'm super impressed by what he did and what was happening on the screen. When, not when it, when it was solo, but also the duel he was in with De Niro. But what's your background with Mickey Rourke? What's interesting is I saw Nine and a Half Weeks before I saw Angel Heart. Um, I was a very okay. precocious teenager. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I uh, I was fascinated with Mickey Rourke. Um, but, I, but I also really, I, I'm a huge Adrian Lynn fan also. I absolutely, just like I am a huge Alan Parker fan, I absolutely love the look of their movies. I love the way they're edited. Um, there's something very specific about that, about that look. And Nine and a Half oh. Weeks, uh, for all of its blatant misogyny, um, actually... Mm-hmm has such an amazing look to it it has a fantastic soundtrack uh and and the performances between mickey rourke and kim basinger are really really good um yes the content of it obviously is you know now now obviously if you look through look at it through a 2023 feminist lens it's like you uh (laughs) but what are you gonna do and i say this on my show all the time that these are products of their time Yep. And that's just as that, like there's a that have you heard of that excellent podcast that uh, you must remember this? Yes, yes, yes. I have listened to that. Yeah. She's doing a series called Erotic Nineties or something. She's oh. going through all these movies, like and it's a takedown of kind of the content and misogyny of all of them, right? Oh but yeah. Also like digging out the great visuals and the great things, whatever. But it's but it's funny how they're all falling into the tracks. Oh yeah, I mean it. it, It's you know the '90s. It was pretty much like rich, bored housewife, white takes a walk on the wild side, sleazy guy, rapey. But why? Yeah, I know. Like not not, you know, I spit on your grave, rapey, but still a little inappropriate. Um, and then you know, uh, oh, oh, but figure, but awakens her sexually and it's okay. Right. You know, and so, that happy ending, right? right happy ending, right. Exactly. Um, which is interesting because nine and a half weeks doesn't really have a happy ending in the sense of a romance. It ends with her leaving him and it right. actually ends with her, you know, kind of just have, having been fed up at this point, having been emotionally abused and manipulated and all of that. And Mickey Rourke tries to salvage the relationship by telling her where he grew up, who his mother was, who his father was, what he likes, what he doesn't like, whatever in this moment. And she is just blinders on leaving and 
leaves her stuff and you know she goes she walks away and it's this amazing like voiceover of him counting because he says i'm going to count to 100 and by the time i get to 100 you will have returned and she walks you know and that's the end right. of the movie is just him counting and that to me is just you know there's 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 something there is something feminist about that film that's not necessarily in you know the first 90 minutes <laughs> okay <laughs> right but right. and there's something real in his performances and like a vulnerability that you don't usually get right there is from, from those those kind of performances there absolutely like, he does that in angel heart one of the things that i really love about his performance in angel heart is there's these he is surprisingly gentle and good to like most of the people he encounters throughout yes. the movie especially the extra like that's why it's so shocking when he terrifies and turns out to be his own grandchild way when, when he comes across lisa bonet because he's even good with the kids he's good with like the people that he's getting the Coney Island scene when he's talking to the guy and his wife. Yeah. Like he's he's very jokey. And, you know, the the scene you talked about where he comes back to his hotel room and finds Epiphany, I think is one of the best grace notes acting wise in the mm -hmm. whole movie where she's asleep at his door. Her eyes are closed and it's raining. And he get, he comes close to her, then sits down in the rain, gets lower than her. And then quietly wakes her up. Like most people would just be like, what the hell are you doing? Or right. like startle you in some way. Right. Right. Which really makes that ending so much more heartbreaking and so much more guttural because during this film, he has been very, you know, kind in a lot of ways, like to women, to right. children, to people on the street, to even the dogs. You know what I mean? Like he's, he really right. has. Totally. You know, like retrieve someone's hat when it blows off in the yeah, room. The, like exactly. I mean, and you know, asking the, the angel for asking. asking the girl, you know, like, hey, you know, is that your boyfriend? And you know, how are you doing? And how, you know, um, you know, and then there's this other part of him too that appeals to women and and you know, men who like men. Uh, but is this like very sexy, very flirtatious, but like very subtly flirtatious, which is something that is very evident in nine and a half weeks. All right. So the locations of this movie are New York and New Orleans. And so I have a question, Mr. World Traveler. Have you been to either of these places? I've been to both. <laughs> oh, Awesome. Oh, my God. That's so cool. When you go to see these places now, do, can you see a little bit of that still remaining? Oh, I was there then. I was like 150 years old. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 real. And like what's really cool about it. So it's funny when you said the locations, I was like, oh, this podcast is going to go for uh, three hours now because <laughs> I think he, I think Alan Parker filmed in 80 locations altogether. Wow. And and the book falling angel which is an excellent novel that the movie's based on um isn't in louisiana at all right mm. so what parker did was he was like there's been enough noir movies in new york screw it let's move <laughs> right <laughs> so he he took it to louisiana and you could tell that he just fell in love with his own decision <laughs> right <laughs> because because the movie just comes to life once it gets to louisiana and it's the cinematography changes, like the look changes. The It's just a beautifully shot, you know, from that point. It's kind of ominous in the New York setting. Yes, it is. In the Louisiana settings, it's 
ominous because it's a horror movie, but it gets way prettier. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? So, yes. Agreed. Agreed. I love completely. the location. What did you think of the location? I really loved the, the, I really thought that New York in this movie looks so grimy. Like every part of the scenes that are shot in New York, whether it's Fowler's house or the crummy apartment that Harry has, or even Harry's office, everything looks like it has this like layer of grime. And the only other movie that I can describe that I can describe that that looks like is uh, Alice, sweet Alice, Alice, sweet yes. Alice makes me just want to take a shower. Yeah. <laughs> And not yes. in a good way either. Like, you know, no, like no. I got to get, Ooh. I got a silkwood shower. I got to get this off of me. It is, yep. it looks like the, the lens was just smeared in dirt. Yep. <laughs> it's got a little in common with seven and that's like kind yes. of yes. instructive because as, as grimy as seven tries to be, Ooh. Fincher is too polished. Yeah. For it like Angel Heart is a hundred times dirtier than seven somehow. Oh, absolutely. It's just it's it's right? almost the dirt of everything is very it's very evident. And then in stark contrast, when you go to New Orleans, it's very bright and hot. You can almost feel the heat um yep. in the scenes, you know. And I mean I'm in Florida, which is it's fucking it's disgusting right now. I have changed my <laughs> shirt three times today. I can't even imagine. Three times. Because and that's I can't. just from going outside. And I even told the dogs, I was like, here, you know what? We're not gonna go for a walk. We're just gonna go to the side yard <laughs> today. Because mommy doesn't yes. want to take y'all down the street and back because it is soaking hot level. Right. No, it's gross. And we're we're learning all these new phrases like heat dome and all this crap. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't want to know these things. No. I don't want it to be this. No, it's unbelievable. It's so hot. So, <laughs> so but I mean, this is this is good training for Harry. He went from coolish New York mm -hmm. to hotter Louisiana, and he's yep. going to hell. So, he's ah, like, now that's right? so interesting. Like, I just like, it was he's like, working his way up, right? Like, oh, we just we just got that, Aaron. Thank you. That uh, <laughs> yes, that he is basically going up the stairs to this and that's exactly what he's doing so yeah he's yeah. he's he's going up and it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter and i mean if the devil really wanted to be mean he should have sent him to like antarctica with the thing or something and then dropped ah! him <laughs> I love, oh God, I love the thing so much. And we were watching it and the opening shot with the dog and my mother goes, that dog isn't right. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't know what the hell the movie was, but she was like, there should something. be like you and your mom reaction videos on YouTube. For right? this. Like there's something wrong with that dog, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so yes, you mentioned the source material. You mentioned Falling Angel, uh, the William... Um, we're going to go with Jorsberg because it's a yeah. Swedish uh, yes. novel. Did you, so have you read it and have you read Angels Inferno, which is the sequel? I have not read the sequel. I have read the novel. It's interesting because uh, there's a, an amazing book that's ancient now called, it's called something like Horror's Hundred Best Books. Mm. And it's an anthology of little mini essays by all kinds of, of the greats of horror from the late 80s, early 90s. Mm -hmm. It's edited by Stephen Jones, I think. 
And it listed Falling Angel as one of the 100 greatest horror novels ever written. Wow. And the essay got me so intrigued, I tracked down the book, right? And the book is, it's like the evil cult version of Let the Right One In. <laughs> okay, right? Like, okay, right, right, right. Similar, like right. similar vibes, similar greatness to it, right? And the problem is, is that I'm such a, I, I started with horror fiction before movies, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm a huge reader, and the, I'm usually the book is better than the movie person, but I love Angel Heart so, so much more than the book. Right. Now, okay. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's, and they're not exactly the same. There's some like changes as I'm sure, you know, but it's not like, it's almost two different things just because of that one setting change. Right. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that you're not in Louisiana and you are in Angel Heart gives Angel Heart such a different feel from the novel that it's mm -hmm. like almost comparing apples and oranges then. Right. Right. I, I love the portray. I was going to say like the way that the devil is portrayed by De Niro in this particular film is my favorite, my yes. absolute favorite um, yes. devil portrayal. Absolutely. Like a hundred percent. And he didn't have much time to accomplish this, right? Like he, no. he's not on screen then. No, it's like an Anthony Hopkins sounds the lamp situation. No, because he's not on screen that much. They really, you know, kind of went went weird with his like his look is very like classically clean, kind of understated. But then you look at his nails, and his nails get longer with each meeting yep. that he has with Harry, and it's like, yep. dude. Mm -mm. <laughs> <laughs> as your mom would say, as your mom would say, he's not right. He's not right. And then he starts oh, then with the, oh God, with the egg. Like I am, I am team anti hard boiled egg. Right. So, <laughs> and I'm not like anti chicken either, but I'm like anti hard boiled egg. So when he's like sure. just eating the hard boiled egg, I'm like, bro. Mm, mm, mm. No, I, Alan Parker said when he filmed that scene oh that he, he, he said it sounded like De Niro was so cool in that scene. He said it sounded like when De Niro rolled the egg on the plate, like he was breaking every bone in Harry Angel's body. <gasps> that's fabulous. Oh, wow. That, right? that That's cool, right? It's such a, it's such a cool touch. Oh, and it, it was, it's really interesting because, you know, you were talking about how grimy Angel Heart is. I, I looked up, believe it or not, uh, this movie's so old that Siskel and Ebert reviewed it. <laughs> and and Siskel kind of hated it. Roger Ebert was like, I love that, you know, in typical film noir, like Double Indemnity and the things you mentioned, mm -hmm. but especially the ones with like Bogart playing the detective or whatever, they're like in crisp suits with fedoras and whatnot. And in this one, Harry Angel's super dirty, but De Niro is the one who's crisp and clean and collected, right? Very. And he has this way of dropping all these ominous, like, Sentences that you can't quite interpret, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Like, oh yeah, they, there's uh, enough religion in the world to make men hate each other, but not have to make them love. Not or make whatever. them love, right? Exactly. And, <laughs> right. And, and like, the future isn't what it used to be. When he talks right? about like, like when he's like he's like, what are you doing in Louisiana? And he's like, oh, I had a speaking engagement. <laughs> and, and you know, a speaking engagement at midnight was like, like yeah, like. Fire when people, people are cutting open chickens and pouring them on each other, you know, like obviously that's the speaking engagement he's talking about, you know. It's so ominous. It's a wonderful thing. 
but he he really is fantastic one of my favorite scenes is the the final well the second to second to last uh meeting in the church where he's in like because i looked at it and i went is that catholic because i you know i'm episcopalian which is like kind of catholic but not really you know and okay. so i asked my mom i'm like is that a catholic church because they're all fancy and stuff she goes it has to be and she's like that seems very uh you know catholic ish uh and they're but sure. just like the them talking and and him correcting him you know him being like yeah we're in a church <laughs> Don't yeah, he's so him. like he's so fancy about it He's yes. like doing waggling his fingers. He's like kind of scolding him. He's like, yeah, don't say those things. Like, it's like, so it's such a weirdly and the the strange thing about Angelheart is the religious scenes and the evil scenes kind of alternate, right? Like they're right mm -hmm. up against each other. When you yes. first meet De Niro, it's by the way, my favorite. I want to know who your favorite bit character in this movie is. My favorite bit character is Pastor John. Oh, Pastor John is, is that yeah. guy is, when they first meet De Niro, right? And he's like telling his flock, you know, people are complaining that I take in too much money at this church, but why am I driving a Cadillac when I should be driving a Rolls Royce? And he and like he he goes out and he's literally being carried like he's royalty out in right. If you think I should be driving a Rolls Royce, please give me <laughs> right. It's amazing, it's amazing, right? And he he gets toppled from his thrown mm -hmm. <laughs> out in the street by Harry Angel. By right? Harry Angel because he's running. But it's so strange that this is the scenes where you've got religion, then you've got bloodshed, then you've got someone running away and being confused. And that happens like over and over and over again in the movie. Right? Yes, absolutely. And the church scene is heading towards like the worst moments of the movie. And it's really cool how not just so what alan parker said about that scene was that was when he felt like mickey rourke had gained maximum confidence in his duel with de niro mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so like that was to me that was the scene that was where you he you it was you were on his side the most because he was so sick of cypher shit <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah at that point like yeah he's just done he's done he he knows he's being set up in some way right but right. doesn't really understand the 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 depravity of it or or like how deep it goes you know and how completely right. fucked up it's gonna be when it gets revealed <laughs> right. it, yeah i mean it's it's kind of funny because i'm what i was watching it uh the 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 first time i watched it um before watching it with my mom and I was watching it with my boyfriend and he hadn't seen it in a long time either. So okay. when he's flirting with Lisa Bonet, when he's, when he's flirting with epiphany, I am just like, Oh God, damn, you know, like, I, like I'm just yeah. doing this, you know, and my boyfriend's like, what? And I was like, Oh, oh you don't, <laughs> you don't remember. Do you? And he's like, no. <laughs> no, 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 as a matter of fact, there's a lot of people I'm watching there doing reaction videos on YouTube to movies, horror movies from this time. Um, and every single reaction video is calling her Lisa Bonnet. And it's driving me crazy. Right. Oh my God. Nobody remembers. Like, dude, it's Lisa Bonet. Like everybody. Well, I guess I know that's right. Us, us 40 somethings. Uh, no, just because right, right. we grew up with the Cosby show and, and, you know, for better right. or worse. Right. You it's know. weird that there's a confusion with her name though, because one of the cool little 
things in Angel Heart is Mickey Rourke can't get anyone's name right. Like he keeps calling Cypher Cypher. Cypher. Yes. He calls Epiphany Epiphany at some point. And she yes, he does. Him, right? Ep- epiphany. And he's got all these different identities. He shows up as Harry Connery, the National Institute of Health Inspector. Uh-huh. Right? And, yep. and the fact that the guy who doesn't know who he really is can't say anyone's name right and mm-hmm. like it's so mind-boggling to me that the movie was smart enough to like layer that stuff in which oh, yeah. is why i think a lot of people feel the twist coming throughout the movie mm-hmm. it's like a slow build of a twist instead of a sudden usual suspects moment it's kind of yes. more dreadful that way it's yeah. very rare that someone watches that movie and doesn't sort of suspect what's happening <laughs> Yeah, you kind of, especially once you get to New Orleans, like once you get to New Orleans, you're just kind of like, huh, like this is, this is icky. Like something, right? Like I love, I love Toot Sweet. Oh God, do I love Toots. Um, And I- Was this your favorite side That's That's probably, it's between him and Ethan Cruzmark actually. uh, Okay. Because, and and I'll tell you why in a second, but like, I love, I love Toots because I, I love blues. I love old blues men, you know? And- to see him perform is just really, really cool. And the fact that like Alan Parker <clears throat> even talked about how when they were auditioning for this, they had all of these like old bluesmen come in to audition and they were like, they just, they, a lot of them didn't know how to read, you know, because right. if you're a lot of times, if you're musically talented, you don't not necessarily like, you don't necessarily read music. I, I have, you know, what's referred to as perfect pitch, which means I can hear something and I can play it back, but don't, I can't read music for shit. Like I couldn't, you know, I couldn't like have a sheet music. Like it'd be like, Oh, that's, that's a B C D. No, no. I'm like, okay, but I'll sing it back for you. You know? (laughs) So, so I understood that and that there were all of these people who came into audition who didn't understand it like couldn't you know couldn't read it and then they would you know because they were older they would say oh i forgot my glasses or you know they would give Uh, kind of excuses right so when when toots came along and 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 they got him in he was so good so good i mean like his 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 scenes are fantastic just i love the way that he just sort of effortlessly does his lines you know yeah where he's just like Yep, you know, three sisters cocktails. You have one of these three sisters cocktails. You can say whatever the <laughs> hell you want because that's what you people do, right? And then just, yep. and then I'm going to take a piss. Bye. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, and he can fight too. He kind of holds his own for, oh, for yeah. an older guy. Oh yeah, he's being. And oh god, would they would they reveal <laughs> when they revealed what happened to Toots? My mother, I swear to God, she's like, she's like, oh, he beat an old man, and I'm sitting here going, oh, um. <laughs> yeah worse, and then they're like worse than and that. Then he, he, you know asphyxiated on his own genitalia and my mother just goes <laughs> oh god you know <laughs> i love that the movie is so mean oh the, the, yes the cop says the cop says asphyxiated his own genitalia is the technical way to say it and he goes how about the not technical way he makes him say it again he's like choked <laughs> like on his it, own dick <laughs> <laughs> the Somebody... movie is not fully much no, and I think that's kind of why that's one of the other reasons why I love it and I feel like it's so good because it's this 
it's sort of this orchestra, right? Of all of these different things that are coming together and, you know, you're hearing all of these different notes, right? And, but your brain doesn't really put it all together until the end. And, you know, these different characters are getting introduced and these characters are kind of like hitting like flat notes, right? Because they're coming in and you think they're one thing, like Ethan Cruzmark. Okay, here's why Ethan Cruz okay. is one of my favorite characters. <laughs> because, because, you know, he gets introduced and he's sort of this, like, you know, old Southern, he has a very, you know, Colonel Sanders flair to him, you know, he does. Uh, <clears throat> where he's just kind of watching the, watching the races, you know, watching the races, having a conversation about my daughter and her weirdness, you know. And then he gets inside this cabin. He's showing off the he's showing off the gumbo. And then yep. it becomes very evident that he's way into Satan. Yes. Like and, and in a way like enthusiastic like about it. enthusiastically yeah. excited, like like the yeah. glazed over stare of organized religion, right? But it's yeah. For Satan, like he's yes. dude for Satan, right? And so yes. he's like, he's like, I watched him con, you know, conjure up Lucifuge in my big room, and and I'm like, all right, yep, yep, we want to, <laughs> yes. bro, we want to take that way down, you know, because he, <laughs> he's he's way no, totally. up here, right? And yep. I looked at his resume to see if he had done anything else that I would have known, and I mean, I. I do watch a lot of movies, but I was like very surprised that I mm-hmm. didn't recognize anything else that he had done. I like he didn't. Yeah, I don't know anything else no. for me. You know, usually I could find one guy that was in Miami Vice. You know, <laughs> like I'm like, all right, yeah, right. You were in Miami Vice, right? Yeah, I got you. <laughs> right. Yep, yep, absolutely. Yeah. So no, not him. Just the one devil movie and out. That's so was cool. everybody, right? But yeah, but he makes the most of his of his part, and there's um. It's also, there's like this one little kind of very tiny line that Mickey Rourke says where he says, you know, you got her into it. She was not introduced to it through an old maid or a servant. You're the one. You're the fucking devil worshiper. And that's just like, like there's something very uncomfortable about that. And there's something very disturbing about like a father that would introduce their child to something like that and like that just that that's that turns right that gets you now you're now you're in the grime you're and this is what i was talking about about the bad intentions right because when you think back about the people who were involved peripherally with johnny favorites boo right they're all they're all kind of miserable right like (laughs) what's isn't having a great time this Ethan Cruzmark's this rich guy. When you come across him, he's just like bored, staring at a, yeah, a race. Yeah, he's staring like, at a race, he's not, right? He's not, he's not like living it up. The 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 person having the best time in the movie is Pastor John, who has nothing to yeah. do with it. <laughs> like <laughs> Margaret Cruzmark's not having a good time, right? Like right. the 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 everyone's kind of impacted by how bad this thing was, <laughs> right? <laughs> and and. You're right. That's what makes it stand out so much. You're like, why would everyone ruin their lives for this? And then when Ethan Cruzmark gets all like excited <laughs> and energized <laughs> to describe this horrendous ritual, 
right? Like, right. I'd be scarred for life if I saw this thing. Oh, and he's like, I want to do it again. This was right. like the best day of my life. Like, he's like, it that's was fantastic. Very, it's like they it's weird, figured, weird energy. You know, he's like found a, you know, they found a young boy, and then they ate his heart. And yeah, I mean, it, it, he does. He he describes it with the excitement of going to like a gourmet restaurant and finding yeah. the meal that you've been looking for your entire life. Yep. He's like, and then he becomes a meal. So yeah, totally. Like within, you know, a quick amount of time, and he gets incorporated into the gumbo. Into the gumbo, right? Um, I find it the the ending of this film, and I don't mean the very ending of this film, because the very ending of this film is wild, and some some people would say offensive. Um, but (laughs) we are talking about the devil here, so, but the the scene with the reveal the scene where harry finally figures out that you know that lewis cipher is lucifer and that he is the quote young soldier quote and that that he was you know that he's johnny favorite and all of this stuff starts to come you know and i love the the editing the editing in the scene where they're just showing all of the little like and here's all the people you killed today you know like it, yeah. and it's just going from like scene to scene to scene uh that's and it's, that's and it's shocking because you're watching harry angel be kind of nice like we said but the the one image in that montage that haunts me is when he's holding the straight razor and smoking the cigarette. Yes. Right. And, and he's, he slit the guy's throat. Yeah. It's, it's, that's like Johnny favorite. Yes. Right? That's and and you know, Epiphany had said it's kind of chilling when when Harry asks her, Did your mom ever talk about Johnny? And she says he only she only said two things about him. <laughs> she said Johnny Favorite was as close to true evil as I would ever want to get. Yep. And he was an amazing lover. Uh. Right? Those are those are that this is a thing she's saying to her daughter, by daughter. the way. Daughter. Right? In this scenario, right? So the fact that Johnny Favorite is that cold and calculating, right? And you don't get to see that through the movie until that montage comes out. Right. We talked about like the overall look of this film is 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 basically credited to Michael Saracen, who was yeah. Alan Parker's main uh, cinematographer for a long time. And it, what's interesting is this is their last project together right. because Michael Saracen went on to do his own thing. And it was not like they had a falling out or anything. They just decided like, hey, bro, you go your way. I'll go mine. And yep. You know, but this is this was a good swan song, so to speak, for the just just for this duo, right? Like it really. Right? I mean, to go out on that on that look is, and you know, that's one of the things is there's there there for a movie that has so like in a David Lynch film, if you're you could turn off the sound and just watch it and be blown yes. away by a lot of the visuals. Absolutely, right? yes, in you a could. plot driven film like a, a where you've got to pick up clues, you're solving a mystery that they turning off, like turning off the sound on seven makes no sense. Right? <laughs> no, but, but, but tur- turning off the sound and watching Earhart would have some beautiful things going on. Absolutely. Right? The Absolutely. look at this movie is so unique for a film noir mystery. Right? Mm. Yes, I love, absolutely. I, I, lo- I love the look of it. I wish they had made other films together. 
I but, know. But I know. Cause, going out on this. Because obviously they did the wall together. They did birdie together, you know, and I, I, so, and then they did this and I'm sure they did other, there were other Alan Parker movies that are not road to Wellville. You know, I'm like sitting here just yeah. kind of <laughs> rattling them off my head. Right. Like my knowledge of Alan Parker. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the wall is a movie with bad intentions too. So, Oh buddy, you know, it's, it's so funny. You should say that because it's not streaming anywhere. It is no, not, not even available to rent. It, it's like you got to buy that DVD kind of thing. You know? <laughs> like, I kind of like that. Like, do you really like Pink Floyd? Because that's really <laughs> the only reason. Because they're they're two totally different animals. I, I oh, mean, yeah. You know. 100%. But, the, you know, one of the things that Alan Parker. So it turns out, I think, that it's very simple and it's Angel Heart is sort of an indictment of a lot of other movies because mm. one of the reasons that Angel Heart came out as good as it did was because Alan Parker just wanted to do right by the book. He loved the book and he was like, I want to get the source material and, and really capture its spirit. Right. Mm -hmm. And that seems like what everyone should be doing and thinking, but it turns out it's super rare. Yes, I know. I love like, reading that story. Yeah, of right? how he like put it in front of like the producer and was like, "This is what I want to do." And the producer was yeah. like, "Yes, let's do it. Let's make it happen." Like that shit never yeah. happens anymore. Right? No, it doesn't. And the thing is, he did it with the wall. Right? That movie gets across the creepiness mm. of what that album is as well. Right? Mm -hmm. So Al Parker is just particularly well suited at doing justice to the material right right yeah which he's, he's I, don't, really I don't think happens yeah no it doesn't happen that often that's the thing is it's an unfortunate but um and then i was really psyched to learn that um william yortsberg also wrote the screenplay for legend oh no kidding right i, no I know i was like dude okay okay oh. yes that charts completely right that's crazy oh my i gotta rewatch this now because yes i, I i'm all, i'm already tracking like now that you said that i'm like oh there's a feel there interesting mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right that's yeah. so cool i also have to read the sequel of falling angel which i haven't i haven't read yeah i know it was uh posthumous like i knew it was uh after way after he died but um i still was like yeah i'm just i'm really interested to see like where the story went and everything um and i thought if you went to hell i'm surprised i know like where are we gonna go past that point is he coming back from hell to fuck other people because that, could that be elevator weird. runs two ways that's crazy is it the is it the son of the son of the son of satan like <laughs> oh that's right because the baby this, was the, ba the baby yeah because the baby was i mean there's something to be said for like that's definitely like satan's style right is like i'm gonna make right. you search for yourself by the way i also fucked your daughter uh and then i'm gonna make you fuck your daughter and yep. <laughs> it's like yeah. and it, it, it's really like there's one of the things that's great about Angel Heart is rewatching it catches you catch so many things you don't see on the first or second pass. Absolutely, right? like, there's this offhand moment in the when Lisa Bonet tells him when he goes, you know, something about the baby, and she goes, "I never knew his mom." Right, right. She's like, right. Oh. And, and then he goes, and then he goes, "Oh, I'm so sorry." And then she goes, 
uh why it was the best fuck of my life and then you're like oh jesus like you know when you (laughs) you connect it you're like ah right and then the creepy contact lenses i have to admit that Mm -hmm. that really didn't work for me the first time i saw this movie when i was a kid like it was right it took me out a little um but there's something the the only problem with angel heart from a horror fan's perspective is it's really only half horror, right? Right. So you need those moments to push it more supernatural and scary mm-hmm. because it's it's it, it needed at least some of that. So I've come to peace with kind of like the corny, yeah, the, the eye, yellow eye glow. The, the Michael Jackson thriller uh contact lenses yeah like the end of the, the end of the thriller totally. video contact lenses. Yeah. <laughs> totally i wasn't the hugest fan originally but i was like now that you know i've seen so many more horror movies than i had when i was a kid i'm 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 glad that angel heart's got at least that much horror in it well i think that and you know the other thing is that a lot of horror fans nowadays i think because they're so used to seeing terrifier or, or they're so used to seeing that level of like viscera, I guess, uh, that they almost won't stand for anything that they have to kind of dig your heels in and sort of wait and see with. Like, that's why I, I adore Session 9. I bring that shit up on your page all the time, right? I like, know. I know. <laughs> but, I but, that's, but that's one of the reasons why I love it is because as a horror fan, I had kind of gotten to a point where I was like, yeah, I mean, whatever, I've seen everything and everything's not scary anymore. Me, you know? And then yeah. I was watching like 100 greatest horror films you've never seen, you know, like whatever, yeah. uh, to be documentary was on. And, yeah. and I've someone, and someone mentioned session nine. And I was like, what? I like number one, never heard of it. Number two, I was like all male cast. Really? Uh, and you know, they're like asbestos cleaners. I don't, I, mm-hmm. but <laughs> there was something very eerie about just the way it looked, uh, the way people spoke about it. So I was like, fuck it. I'm, I'm, I'm in. Okay. So went and actually bought the DVD, like didn't even rent it or anything. I was like, I'm going to buy nice. the DVD. I'm going to watch it. And I watched it and coming from a background of addiction and alcoholism watching that movie is a totally different experience and i introduced several people like in recovery to it because i was like dude just watch this right and they're and they're just like holy fuck like just that feeling of you know i live in the weak and the wounded and i you know this is they always let me you know, like just that feeling of yeah. like, there's this thing that you're consistently fighting that's inside of you that, you know, when when someone's defenses are down, as is with Gordon and his sleep, dep- you know, being yeah. deprived uh, because of the baby. It wears you out. Right. It's like it wears you out. And then eventually you're like, you know what? I will kill my wife. You know? <laughs> yep. Yeah, 100%. And like, it's like, it. I'll do it. The addiction thing is you you suspect the worst outcome is coming. Right. And it comes and it comes slowly and grindingly, right? Right. And, and Session 9 is so good at capturing. It's, it really is. It, it really is. It's Just remarkable. And, you know, the thing is, this is, I never understood, this is why I get into arguments on the Horror Weekly page all the time, is... <laughs> um, because I don't understand the 
when you go to a haunt, right? When it's like like October twentieth, mm-hmm. and you get a, like a fog filled night, you go to a haunt. When you go into that building or that maze, they don't just have a hundred scares in a row, two inches apart from each other. Right. Right. There's the quiet ones. There are the loud ones. There's the unexpected ones. There's the ones you sort of know are coming. And there's the stretches in between where you like have to think about what's around the next corner. It's like mm-hmm. all different kinds of horror. Like session nine gives the horror genre a whole different flavor. Yes. Right. As does Angel Heart. Right. Yes. As does Terrifier. Yep. <laughs> right? I, yeah. Right. The, 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 the insisting on all horror being the one kind to the exclusion of the other kind has always kind of baffled. Yeah. I just can't, I can't do it, man. Like I, I, if I've got, I've learned that there is, there's beauty in all kinds of things, which is kind of why I started my podcast was cause I was just, I mean, like, to be honest with oh. you, I was just sick and tired of listening to people take the piss out of other movies. I was just like, <laughs> what if we did a podcast that was like the Ted Lasso of B movie podcasts where nice. we could talk about how these movies have enriched us or changed our lives or how they're endearing or whatever. And then it just grew from there. It went from being awesome. B movies to being cult films to being movies in general, right. you know? And, um, right. but, but that, but, but it's that attitude of like, Oh, well I only watch, you know, Amadeus. And it's like, yes, Amadeus <laughs> is my favorite film of all time. But I will also watch Reform School Girls. I will also, <laughs> I will also watch Alice Sweet Alice. I, you know, yep. Uh, and I can find something beautiful in all of those films. It's that, but it's also to me the fact that they affect each other, mm-hmm. right? So it's not just like I can watch one and appreciate one, and I can watch the other and appreciate the other. It's the fact that watching Amadeus late at night and then waking up in the morning and realizing you have a podcast and you watch Cannibal Holocaust, <laughs> you, still got, you still got Amadeus floating in the back of your head, right? Right. And now that makes that other experience a little more interesting. Right. Right. <laughs> right. You're like, let's let's see. Where was Arbola going with this? Like, yeah. <laughs> Amadeus Holocaust is not a movie I love. Amadeus Holocaust. Yes, that's it. Well, I mean, it almost seems like now that we like just now that the 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 way things are turning in the horror world it seems like that's next right like this like right. weird amalgamation of <laughs> sounds like an a24 movie i know <laughs> <laughs> i'm like don't, I'm, don't do i'm gonna holocaust and put an exclamation point at the end of the title absolutely it's like so it's like a it's a woke amadeus <laughs> woke amadeus holocaust no one's offended which will be the one movie I will not want to see. Amazing. Right. It'll be the, uh, you know, um, Hulu original. Right? <laughs> Awful. That happens all the time. All right. So, so wrapping this up, um, yes. like, let's talk about like why this movie in like indoors for us. Like why, why is this movie still fucking awesome now? Uh, and, and it was then, obviously. And there was there's something there's something about it. There's something about certain movies that just have this lasting quality. Like there's nothing necessarily dated about this film, to be honest. I mean, obviously, nine no. and a half weeks is way dated, right? But <laughs> totally, totally. But I mean, this, this film would be hard to make now because of certain elements. But you could imagine David Fincher making this instead of Zodiac. Oh yeah, and, and dropping it next month. 
and it being fine. Right. right? Like, right. Yes. It's, 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 it's a little bit ageless, which is. Mm, love it. Love it. Right? Yes. Which, yes. Is, which is kind of, kind of remarkable. I, the, the question is like, did you find it scary when you first saw it? When I first saw it, I think because, you know, I'm this like 15 year old screenwriting nerd uh, and I'm studying it down to this last, you know, I'm making my notes and I'm doing all right. this. I don't think that I found it eerie when I saw it initially. I think I probably was like, whoa, like that was wild, you know, but then right. when you add on like 20 or so years of bad decisions or life or seeing, yeah. you know, seeing, seeing your own demons, so to speak, um, it's a it, it it then it is eerie then it's uncomfortable then it's weird then it's like the fact that he's chain smoking the entire time you know is not lost on me in the sense that yeah. he's basically trying to kill his heart yep yes interesting mm -hmm. it's super interesting that it went the reverse order for you right mm -hmm. like, most people are they saw john Carpenter's halloween when they were like 12 and that terrified them and the music scared the hell out of them right and now when they watch it it feels slow and and like it's not that scary anymore right yours you saw his daughter first weren't that scared by it and now it terrifies you more yeah which is super interesting i think i think that's you know the fact that it's working backwards for you <laughs> is not surprising to me for such a backwards kind of movie <laughs> <laughs> right that's, right. that's really really cool I, I think it like it endures for all those things but the to me the the thing it endures most for like is it's like i said it has those bad intentions but you know speaking of halloween right john carver's halloween when i try to assess what its agenda was mm. it feels to me like john carpenter had he, here's the things he had going on this is how it comes across to me he wanted to make money Mm -hmm. <laughs> he mm -hmm. wanted to scare you right he wanted to entertain you but more than anything it felt like he wanted to make something that was well made mm -hmm. right it has an air of craftsmanship about it right angel heart is it feels well crafted but it also feels like it wants to be the evil spell it's depicting Right. Yes. It, it wants to have like a danger about it that most movies won't bother to have. It wants to have a realness inside the fantasy that most movies don't try to achieve. Mm -hmm. And that to me is like the most special thing that lingers for me after it. Right. Mm -hmm. Is you've got like the fantasy elements like your mom was talking about that makes it a little more palatable like than a really extreme gory horror movie. Right. But it also has a like the implications of what's happening to the characters are more awful than most horror movies would ever bother to do. Yes, <laughs> right. Thank you. There were Absolutely. parts of this movie where, when I did an original episode on Horror Weekly about it, or segment of an episode, there were things I felt uncomfortable saying, which I've reviewed like the most extreme. I mean, I did Martyrs, right? Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> there were moments there were moments in this movie that I felt uncomfortable. I'm like, is Spotify going to ban me? <laughs> right? Movie this quiet intermittently also be that awful in its details. Yeah. It makes it unique. 
I mean, even and even the even that that last like couple of lines that the cop says, you know, where he's like, you know, it, unless that ain't your that ain't your gun up or snatch, and it's like, ah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know what's amazing is this movie, like it, you can tell someone cares about what they're creating by the fact that it covered like every inch of the canvas. He went to the corners, right? right. Because when the movie starts. It starts on whispering. Yes. Right? And it ends all the way after the credits. It plays all through the credits. The movie Amazing. goes through the credits, yep. goes to the end of the credits. And after the credits have completely left the screen, it is whispering again to the character telling him he's doomed. Yeah. Right? Like it go, it, This movie goes edge to edge. <laughs> right? And a lot of movies just don't feel like they're trying that hard to me. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I love the idea that that hell is sort of represented as this elevator that is just going down. And it's this this very, you know, shown in shadows in a lot of ways uh, yep. and and not in the traditional, oh, it's just, you know, fire and brimstone and weird shit and devils right. and tails and whatever. But like it's it's presented in this like this totally. your your hell is having to relive all of the horrible things that you have done over yeah. and over and over again in perpetuity. And you're, I mean, like that, that it's, it's almost like not to get too controversial, but <laughs> it's almost like a uh, devil and miss Jones devil and miss Jones has one of the best representations of hell, which is, yep. you know, I'm going to take this, this woman and I'm going to basically uh, make her into a sex maniac. I'm going to make her, yeah. I, I'm going to give her nymphomania, right? And then as punishment, I am going to lock her in a room with a man who would rather catch flies than fuck her. And she is unable to have an orgasm for the rest of her life. That her existence yeah. is this. Like that to yeah. me is a very accurate representation of hell, right? And so is yeah. Angel Heart. Yes. And to your point, like the elevator is going down, but you know, how does an elevator go down? You hit the button. You hit the button. Right? Right. This is on you. Right. Right. Exactly. It's, it's being done to you, but it's also on you. You're complicit in it. And that's, you know, it's, it's a great visual, but it's also like you said, a great metaphor. Mm -hmm. Just in, just unbelievable. All right. So if, if the, if the audience would like to stalk you, uh, I'm gonna get in trouble someday for saying that on the show. But if 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 people want to find you on the socials, as the kids say, where yes. and how can they do that, George? Well, you can come to the Horror Weekly Facebook page and or group. It's at Horror Weekly, and you can fight with us. <laughs> <laughs> but just come add an interesting voice to the conversation. The whole point of that community is just to you know have a really fun. Um, no holds barred talk about the genre that we all love, right? And it's, and and it's then, awesome, totally awesome. Yeah, well, and I, I never miss a, I never miss a post. I never miss a post, yeah. and I never miss an episode. So seriously, the community is is amazing and pretty unique. So the more voices in it, the merrier, right? And then um, people should go to Manic Movie Monday and do <laughs> a five star review for you Aww. because I don't think people realize that when you give a positive review to a creator that you're appreciating, 
it makes their content better, right? It gives them a little more energy to do what they do. It gives them a little more reason to get over like the, the setbacks or the inconveniences or the things, right? So go over and review you. I love your show. So you have homework. Listeners to this, you have homework by next week. (laughs) Thank you so much. That's so sweet. And if you guys want to stalk either myself or Hillary, we do have an Instagram page and we do have our Facebook page, Manic Movie Monday Podcast. And stay manic, my lovelies.